by no one's demand but our own. And from our home office here in the Gulch in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, it is the 615 Sessions brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising here with you on this Thursday. Titans offseason officially concluded. There's no more football outside of igniting the fire, which you guys know how much I enjoy for the next six weeks. The NFL has taken their summer vacation. Uh, It will be a dead time for some time over at St. Thomas Sports Park before we hear from everybody uh, once they report back for training camp. But we thought we'd do something uh, a little different today. Uh, Paul Kaharski, paulkaharski.com, midday 180, 104.5 The Zone, weekdays 10 to 2. Uh, He is the chief. He is my friend. He is somebody who I enjoy talking with. And uh, he's somebody... We all know, despite how much crap you give him, uh, you enjoy listening to him. And so Paul was kind enough to give me uh, almost an hour and 10, in fact, not almost, an hour and 10 minutes of his time. We talked about a lot of different stuff. Uh, we went a lot of different directions. He was very gracious. Uh, it's, it's tough to get anybody to sit down for an hour and do anything, much less talk about a podcast or talk on a podcast about some stuff that you've just spent. Uh, you know, the vast majority of three months dealing with and now have a six weeks vacation. So what better way to, to cap it off than an hour podcast talking about Marcus Mariota, Steve McNair, Eddie George, Bruce Springsteen. We covered it all with the chief today on the 615 session. So without further ado, Paul Kaharski of paulkaharski.com and the Midday 180. Back here on the 615 Sessions, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising here with you on this Thursday. No more Titans minicamp, no more Titans uh, for quite some time. So we figure no better way to put a bow on it than for Paul Kaharski, midday 180, weekdays 10 to 2 on 104.5 The Zone, and quote, the wildly successful site, end quote, Paul Kaharski. where you can check out his one-on-one Periscope with Mike Vrabel that is available for all members to check out. Chief, what's going on? You sound like you're in a cave. Are you in a cave? No, I'm not in a cave. When I've listened to your broadcast, you don't sound like you're in a cave. Why are you you really concerned with my audio levels? Like, is this going to be a thing for you? Do you need hearing aids, Chief? I hear you fine, but like if I was listening to it kicking back, I'd be like, hey, is that two dudes in a cave or one dude in a cave? Well, see, it's the beauty of technology. I sit here and I do this at my kitchen counter, Paul, but when I edit it together, it sounds just fine. Okay. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm concerned on the front end, but I'm, I'm sure that your back end you production want, is outstanding. Do you want to make this a Verizon commercial? Can you hear me now? I can hear you fine. It just uh, uh, sounds like I'm talking to you from a cave. Okay. And, you know, I know you live in a fancy gulf, uh, gulch apartment. Ah, uh, see, so I, know. I hear you're moving out of the fancy gulch apartment. It's true. I just got an offer accepted on a house. I had a little bit of a crisis today. I had to crawl under the crawl space with my home inspector and learn about uh, furnaces and things of that nature. So you Just take his word for it. You can't crawl under there. That's a claustrophobic situation. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I have... I have a stepdad who's poking me and prodding me the entire way along that I have to know how to get these, how to how to handle these things, uh, because I'm not man enough to uh, just handle them myself rather than call a professional. I also am not man enough, but I'm man enough to make, uh, you know, uh, 
good enough living where I'm man enough to be able to make the phone call to find the man who's man enough to go under there. Because you have a wildly successful site at paulkaharski.com. Correct. <laughs> and the wildly successful radio show. Yes, that's true. It's did, all going quite well now, but anything could change at any moment. I'm so happy for you, Chief. Uh, Thank you. Did you two play nice on the Periscope on Wednesday night? Um, Mike Vrabel and I had a very nice time. It's very nice of him to uh, give me that time. It's our second annual uh, post-minicamp get-together. We, he wouldn't call it a post-minicamp get-together because he was still pretending there was going to be practice. Yeah, you know, why, why the hell is that a state secret? Practice. Like, why is this such know, a big deal? I don't have a problem with this state secret because he still wants to surprise the guys and have them thinking that there's going to be some practice that there wasn't, I guess. Um, so it wasn't a big deal from my vantage point, though I was fairly certain that I wasn't going to be missing the radio show. And I didn't come to the, to the wrap-up press conference because I felt like the press conference the day before was pretty good wrap-up. Um, yeah, no, had- he, he was good. I uh, I skipped today as well, like I said, dealing with uh, home, future home ownership. Uh, but yeah. I heard that it was his best conf- uh, press conference yet from Austin and Zach, so I'm not sure what that means. Well, we played the first 15 minutes of it on Midday 180, and I thought uh, it was pretty good. But I also think uh, a lot of times those sound very conversational and engaging on the big themes And then it's the kind of thing you go back and listen to and you say, yeah, it was very good and very conversational. But uh, using those quotes, they aren't necessarily uh, building building blocks uh, for compelling stories or videos or pieces or whatever. And so now we've got, you know, quiet five weeks to uh, pontificate on what we're going to see when uh, when they reconvene and things matter much more. And the evidence that they put forth in front of us on a daily basis will matter much more. Yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm still pretty new to this. Like this is three years in for me covering the same team and I'm looking at minicamp and I'm to the point where I feel like I'm not learning anything because things don't look differently to me out there, Paul. I mean, you you and I and everybody else for the Titans Media Corps, we sit out there and we watch the open practices and at some point I expect to see something like I'm looking for some breakthrough from this quarterback. And we got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to it's it's good to have you on today because I want to talk about Eddie George and Steve McNair. I'm not somebody who has the 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 vantage point on them because I wasn't here covering those teams and it was it was a pretty cool scene yesterday, but like we'll we'll stick with this team right now. Uh what what the hell am I supposed to be getting out of minicamp at this point for Marcus Mariota? Yeah, I mean it it's a good question. Um and and there's kind of um uh, you know, we're put in uh yeah, I'm not looking for any sympathy, but we're put in kind of this bind. Everybody wants to know, how's he looking? What's he doing? Give us as much detail as you can. And I think we try to do that. And I try to say, uh, look, I, on Tuesday in the most important period, he looked like crap. Am I allowed to swear on here? I don't know. Yeah, you got he it. Looked, it's cool. He looked like shit. Yeah. And so, uh, you know. But no, you got probably, aggregated. Because he looks so probably, bad. I got he got picked up by so Bleacher bad. Report. <laughs> and, he, and he's supposed to, uh, you know, a, a veteran quarterback should be in command of that period. And they say, well, he's being blitzed. Well, if you're being blitzed in a non-contact period by guys not in pads, when you're as slick as Marcus Mariota is, you can shrug your way around that and make it a non-factor. You can make all pass rush a non-factor unless they're blowing the whistle when you're tagged. I mean – 
he was able to move out of some sacks this week and throw interceptions, so he certainly would be able to move out of some sacks this week and throw touchdowns. Yeah, but how long till we blame Michael Pruitt for the interceptions, like what's happening at practice? Right, well, some of, some of them, certainly, but some of the inaccurate stuff. You know, so then I want to give a report. All right, this is the most um, most definitive period I've seen. Most periods have been so-so, right? Not not so good, not so bad. Yeah. But here's a period that was clearly something. It was clearly bad. But I say, but don't don't go nuts. All right. Now, you know, you only have so many words in a tweet or whatever. Even if I put a big disclaimer on there, but it's only one period and one mini camp and everything, plenty of people would disregard that anyway. Most of the smart people who are reading us understand the context of it. You know, so then you have uh, two thirds of the audience go crazy. Oh, my God, the quarterback's terrible. Get Tannehill in there already. Uh, another third. Oh, come on, Paul. What are you doing here? You know, this doesn't mean much. Well, you want to know how he looks or you do not want, want to know how he looks. The practice is open. I'm out there. Uh, I, I see something that is interesting in the context of the moment. And I share it. Is it earth shattering that, that he didn't look good in that context? No. Is it noteworthy? I, I thought so, obviously, because I noted it. Uh, do you and I learn much out of that? No. Except, you know, I think on the last two days of the off season, I think it's fair to expect a quarterback heading into his fifth year should look pretty sharp. And he didn't follow it up with a particularly good day the next day either. And so a quarterback heading into his fifth year in an offense that was maintained with the continuity theme didn't look particularly sharp. That doesn't, but beyond that, it doesn't mean much. And we keep putting a, a bubble wrap of context around it, which a lot of people ignore. So that doesn't help us get the point across clearly. And the things you learn are very small. So the things you learn are Tajay Sharp is working on special teams, uh, kick kick return anyway uh, whether that's going to mean much we don't know bad things seem to be happening when they throw to michael pruitt um, <laughs> he's he's just he's just stalker that's all he is i watch him and i see i see luke stalker out there uh literally uh, he looks like a, a walking tree trunk like yeah that's probably what he looks not like as good he, I, I mean he's probably a better blocker but he's uh, you know he's worse going up for passes and that's really saying something um, you know, what else was that? You know, they're all little small things. Derek Henry in these, uh, you know, Vrabel corrected me during the Periscope Facebook Live laughing at me that I was calling it, you know, swing passes. He said, those were screens. You know, those are screens. Why are you calling them swing passes? I, I said, all right. In the fascinating 10 minutes of screens that we watched, Derek Henry was catching a lot of them and, and Deion Lewis was waiting his turn. So it didn't look like even in a period that's built for, for Deion Lewis to be front line at least some of the time and catching a screen pass, Derrick Henry is at the front of the line even for that. Little things like that, those, that's all you can take away from, from this kind of stuff. And then you tend to give it too much amplitude. And, and Buck, I've been doing it since 95. No matter how you go into it and determine I'm not going to let anything I see mean too much inevitably you come out of June letting at least one or two things you see mean too much because you saw it. Yeah. And as opposed to not seeing anything. No, I just, I, 
you kill me, Paul. You really do because you you've been doing this for a long time. You're good at what you do. I'm not kissing ass. You know you know that, and I know that. But like you've you've got a big enough following to where you're punching down with uh, punching down at these Twitter eggs, dude, about shit that they're saying to you on on Twitter about things like overreacting to a bad day or a good day from Marcus or something like that. You kill me. It's a hard way to live. Why do you do that to yourself? I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, I'm not thinking of it. I'm kind of determined to do it. I'm going to. Try try um a bit of a social experiment and a bit of a sanity experiment i'm thinking of going from june 15th to july 15th where i don't look at at mentions outside of stuff for a specific hashtag um so you've got to paul like maybe a hashtag pk mail look i'm tough and stuff doesn't bother me but cumulatively oh it's exhausting uh, yeah it's exhausting and it starts to wear you down and it does it does bother me and i'm sick of it some people are doing it on purpose some people are doing it uh because they're stupid um but it wears on me and then it starts to dictate the things I spend too much time responding to it, and then I spend probably too much time in what I write reacting to it, what I do on the radio reacting to it, and i got to just get away from it. If I could do that month, it would improve my life, and if that month improves my life, then maybe I'll have changed my habit. And, you know, John McClane for a long time, he doesn't look at his app mentions at all. Oh, God, I, I don't know. imagine how wonderful that is. I, I, don't, I don't have the discipline to do it, and I don't have a, as large a following as either of you guys. But I just, I like, I mean, it's fun to give people the Twitter hands every once in a while. But after, it, after a certain amount of time, it's just waves upon waves of stupidity lapping but upon your But we're also in a reaction business, so you write something. Oh, no, you got to see what and, people are or, talking or, about. Or you have a nugget of news, in particular, and you want to see people react to it. And it's very hard to resist the temptation of seeing people react to it. But I've got a radio show where people can react to it, uh, you know, with, with phone calls and conversation there. And I've got a site where people can react to it reasonable people who are obviously interested in my product can react to it on the stories themselves or in the in the facebook group that they're a member of as a result of their membership on my site where i know it's going to be level-headed because because they've got a certain level of interest automatically by being a member and so those are the people i want to converse with um and and that i know i'm going to have a reasonable conversation with so why not focus more there and less anywhere else that's no, totally fair we will we'll do that when when you decide that you're going on your twitter blackout uh we'll do the book club we'll make it a podcast what was the book that i'm going to host the book club for yeah i'm still not giving you the hosting of the Why book not? club power yet we'll see what do i got what do uh, i gotta do well certainly the podcast is going to be a, a my podcast not your podcast <laughs> if you want to be a guest host of my podcast what, what did you say to the f-words guys i want people to hear it paul it's got to yeah, be I on said my to the podcast F-words guys i said i want people to actually hear it it's a very good book and it'll be a very good podcast so let's let's put it uh you know on a yazoo podcast not on a f-words uh you know, cutie pie thing. <laughs> cutie pie. Uh, you mentioned your site, your wildly successful site. You had the sit down with Mike Vrabel. You and Mike, you and Mike get along. I think you guys have have personality traits in common. That would probably disgust him to hear. Uh, we I, discussed that a little bit in uh, during this. He doesn't like to admit it at all, but there definitely are some. Yeah, no, without question. And so I, you, you seem to you have a pretty good read on him. I I'm not around him as much. I don't. I'm obviously not doing a sit down pod uh, or Periscope with him. But like, I feel like I have a pretty decent understanding of who Mike 
is at this point, like now that we've seen him through a year of his tenure. What's your read on Mike Vrabel compared to the other guys that you've seen uh, at his job? Because I had I had a year of malarkey, and that's the only thing that I can gauge it off of. Well, uh, uh, what I say here on one level is not going to make sense because I still think we're going to see a run-first, defense-heavy team. And I asked him about this uh, the other night, and I said, you know, is it a genetic thing that through five or six guys here, you all have that? You know, and he went into the, you know, I can't talk about the guys before me. And I said, well, I'm not asking you to talk about those, but you're you're the same. You're very different than them, but you're very the same in terms of the way things are, are the way you think. Why? You know, think it's just a coincidence that that's all we get to see here? Or is the quarterback going to throw for 400 yards one day by accident? Um, it sure as hell not going to be by accident. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it might be by accident. And, you know, the, uh, in the way that Derrick Henry's 99-yard run was by accident in that they just happened to be at the one-yard line. You know, so if you make a big play from the 99-yard, uh, you know, from the for, from the one-yard line instead of from the if they, other one-yard Listen, line. if they end up with a 400-yard pass game, it's because Kevin Byard threw a 66-yard t- uh, touchdown pass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, on a fake punt. Um, where were we starting there? Remind me, I just lost it for a second. I'm sorry, Chief. I'm I'm like I'm 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 a millennial. I have a, the attention span of a small rodent. You no, talking that's all about, right. I'm an old man who forgets. You were talking about Vrabel and getting a read on him as compared to other coaches. Oh, yeah. philo- uh, so, philosophically, they seem to have. So things I'm going to say that he's not stubborn. Uh, you know, in the way that Terry Rubisky said, we're going to run the same play an eighth time because I think the eighth time it's going to pop, which is, you know, the quintessential Asinine. stubborn Titan coach quote, the, the, the top one of all of the ones. And I think all of the predecessors have been stubborn to a degree in that this is what I know and this is going to work. And it's not that I don't think that Vrabel has some of that in him. I think he does. And I do think that he, you know, thinks they're going to win it with defense and and uh, and an offense predicated around the run game first and foremost. But I don't think they're going to do that because he's hell-bent on it or stubborn. I mean, I think even in the first year, uh, we saw that they game plan adjusted. And some weeks it was fantastic, right? I mean, the, the first Houston game, they won on game plan and on his insight into that team excuse me, the Patriots game, they won because he knew interior pressure can bother Brady. And if they could create it, um, you know, then, then they would be good. I'm not remembering which game it was where Vaccaro challenged a, a quick pass right at the beginning of the game. Maybe it was the Eagles. And he was talking about this with me last night, you know, no easy access throws. And so he knew. No, I think that was the Pats game because he came down and lit up James uh, James White, I think. And so he was saying, like, I knew when Vaccaro made that hit well. Yeah. We did get through to them. We said no easy access throws. And there's Kenny burying the guy quick. So they at least they've got the message what we're talking about, about no easy access throws. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. So they executed what they wanted. So. My thinking is that some weeks they're going to be really on in terms of executing um, that kind of week-to-week game plan thing, and it's going to work beautifully, like it worked against New England, like it worked against Houston. Um, And some weeks 
it really won't work and it won't look good and they they won't have the adjustment i think there's more variation in that yes so i i think there's going to be more variation in that but i think as you get better personnel and as you get better at doing that and as you don't make the same mistake twice that maybe there's some chance there to be different and better than they've been in the past other uh, under different people i think he's really smart i think he really knows the game i mean I, you know I, there, there's no denying that and so I, I think he's very um you know self-deprecating and has a good handle on what he knows and what he doesn't know and how to delegate and appreciate what his people bring him um and that out of that comes his his best chance to be successful and i just have a good feeling about him in in that regard um and so you know that's my feeling about him heading into year two and we'll see if those things come to fruition he also had a lot of bad luck last year you don't make excuses for him but the injury no, stuff like, was no, ridiculous. Who the hell is going through a year like the like? If anybody cared about the 2018 Tennessee Titans, like it would be a fascinating book with everything that went on over the course of that season. How, yeah, are, you, how are you starting with the eight-hour game? Oh no, starting not starting with, with Kevin game. Dodd for God's sakes. Yeah, starting with Kevin Dodd, starting with uh, Rashard Matthews disappearing. Uh, you know, and then the, you lose Delaney Walker. With you know, you figure, all right, well, if Matthews is out, you know. You're going to wind up, uh, at least you have Delaney Walker, and then Delaney Walker's not there either. So you got nobody to throw the ball to, really. And then you're like, all right, well, we rely on the big running back, and the big running back doesn't do a damn thing, really, until the last month of the season. And nevertheless, you wind up in a position to be competitive. Now, on some things, you know, I, I understand why he doesn't do certain things. If I'm coaching the Tennessee Titans, I, I, I put the Colts logo all over the place, and I say, we got to beat everybody, but number one, first and foremost, right here, this is what we're thinking about. This is who we're aiming at. That's the team, you know? And if we don't beat them at least once, we're not going anywhere. And it's it's time for this bullshit where we can't touch them to end because until it does, we're playing playoff games on the road if we get in the playoffs, and it's just not going to get us where we're aiming to go, and we don't go from good to great until we go from not sucking against the Colts to – being at least average and finding a way to beat them. Yeah, the thing with like the thing with coaches that I never that I never really understood is like why they traffic in the clichés like like good to great. What is what is good to great? Like I understand conceptually what good to great is going to do, but all it all it strikes me as is something that we're going to hit them over the head with as soon as they don't have a great moment. We're looking for oh, well, where's the great? Why are you still good? Why are you still below a- or or average? Even like I never understood why coaches lean on those things so much. I don't have a problem with the overall theme that much because I, I I think it's kind of a unifying factor, you know, that they all kind of catch each other on the good and make it the great. My my issue with it, and I've written about it, is you know, yeah, you've got some areas where you could go from good to great. Pass protection wasn't good last year, so you got to get from sucky to not sucky, to average, to good, to great. That's a lot bigger uh, step than good to great. So if you're convincing yourself you were good at that last year, uh, maybe there's a little bit of danger there. Yeah, I, I just, it's, cliches are always funny to me because it's, I, I, just because I'm fascinated with the way that him and Marcus and anybody who does this, uh, who sits in front of those podiums, is able to talk 
for for 20 minutes without really saying much you know and that's just it, it drives me crazy with those two you missed the good old days where you could actually uh periodically get somebody to say something and now you really gotta be creative in the subject matter that you take to them that's not really ever going to be about uh this week's opponent or last week's opponent for that matter to get guys to expand. I just want personality. But at least we've got some of those guys. At least, yeah, the personality's not great, but I mean, we got some with Taylor, of course, with Logan, with Kevin. Um, you know, it starts though with the quarterback, and we just aren't going to get that until until he's until this guy's not the guy, and we don't know when that's going to happen. And you don't know for sure, you know, if and when it's not Marcus, if the next guy has it, or you know how high a percentage of guys that are the quarterback of a team in the NFL anymore are going to want to have any person you know, Baker Mayfield's going to be more and more the exception because uh, he's going to get slammed for everything he says. And it takes a certain kind of guy to be able to handle that. No, I know. I just sit there and I look at Baker chastising Duke Johnson and being like really abrupt about, uh, you know, it not being awkward that Duke Johnson is asking for a trade and he's telling him, well, just do your job anyway. He's doing this publicly. And I, you know, I, I look longingly at Baker Mayfield oh, yeah. and Josh Rosen because I need, I need shit talking quarterbacks to succeed in the NFL. So yes. they're not just these whitewashed, just God. I mean, and I, I, I can't, I can't. Anytime you criticize Marcus Mariota, it's, it's like you have to couch it with, well, he's a really nice guy. But like, am, am I am I wrong for wanting more out of him? Like the eggs thing, right? You got a hard time for for talking about the or asking question about questions about how he's maintaining the weight that he's put on, uh, and his diet, and in terms of how many eggs he's eating on a day to day basis. But like the thing is, that's that's insight with Marcus Mariota. That's him letting us in. Like the fact that he opened the press conference asking us if any if anybody had been to the CMA fest. I'm like, oh, are we are we making small talk? Is this happening today? Are you, I don't know. I don't. Am I being unreasonable? No. I mean, you and I are probably very much alike in that. That, that drives us crazy when somebody's flat like that. Other people have an easier time dealing with it drives me crazy too i'll go on the radio and say i'm just gonna accept it i'll go do something else i won't even pay attention then you're at a mini camp thing and everything else is done and he's there and people want to read about the quarterback so you try to get out of them what you can and look on the eggs thing i'm not apologizing to anybody i didn't start the conversation but it's (laughs) it's it's not it's not a terrible conversation and look i i'm trained I know some people are going to laugh at this. If, if a guy says, I'm eating more eggs, I automatically say, how many more? If a guy says, uh, I'm eating, I eat eggs, I say, how do you like them? It's just like a natural thing. You want the detail. Whether, whether it's a relevant thing, the eggs, whether I'm writing about the eggs or not, the automatic follow-up question is to ask for more detail about it. Whether it be, hey, I'm, I'm running... Uh, more bootlegs to the right or the left. Uh, you know, I'm running more bootlegs. Are you any slower because you're now 12 or 13 pounds heavier? These are just the automatic follow-up questions that might lead a guy, a normal guy anyway, to add a little bit more detail. And I think, um, a lot of people don't see necessarily the value in that little bit of extra detail. 
but uh, when they're when there's so little details out there like for me anything anything is 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 you know anything's fair game at that yeah. point for me because and i want it from anybody i yeah. want any little extra detail from anybody particularly you know if we're only talking to a guy in a group setting like that well maybe one detail perks my interest that doesn't perk everybody else's interest then i could take it somewhere else and build something on it that helps me do something that differentiates what i'm doing from what you're doing and you find one that you do that with for yourself but i don't want to write the same thing that's coming out of everybody else there well i didn't do anything with the eggs the story i wrote about the eggs i'll have to send it to you was about how that eggs conversation used to be a conversation you would have with the quarterback at the end of a conversation at his locker that wasn't broadcast on the radio, that wasn't live streamed by the team, and that nobody would know about unless somebody was doing a story on how Marcus Mariota put on and maintained 12 to 13 pounds this offseason. And they also talked to his uh, trainer on the West Coast and the new strength coach and the old strength coach in Watterson and Vrabel and his high school coach about what kind of frame he had in high school and all of that. And the one decent quote you got from Mariota was about the eggs. So, you know, you did the nutrition part and you quoted Marcus in that. And nobody would ever know that you had asked that question in that stage. And the other thing is, you know this, you go around the locker room and you might try out a couple things here and there. And eight out of the 10, you might leave in your notebook and never use because they don't pan out to anything. And two of them pan out and you go, hey, I could build something off of that or I'm going to go follow up on this and look for something. So if I have eight X's in my notebook, that's not me asking stupid questions. That's me trying to probe around and find my way into something. And if I don't, I don't. But typically, that's me and a guy talking. It's not on titansonline.com or 104.5 The Zone. Now, with Marcus, it is. So if you don't like what I asked him, I'll suffer through that, you having heard that, and try to teach you about how my job works. You don't really give a shit, so I'll just endure your grief. <laughs> so much so much trouble over a question about eggs. It kills me, Paul. Uh, but it's, I mean, what, what you're talking about in the locker room is something that I don't think people understand. And I had a little bit, I mean, I, I know we know that people don't understand that dynamic because they haven't been in that situation and they don't know how those things are navigated. Like I had a little And they bit- don't care and they don't have to care though. I will say at my site, a lot of people seem to like the process questions about how things work in there. No, I think how there's the a lot of interest in inside baseball of anything, even if it is, you know, the 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 workings of how of what goes on behind the scenes in terms of Titans media. Like I think there's I think there's enough intrigue about that kind of stuff. But I'm curious as to what what do you think, somebody like you who's been doing this for a long time, who has a background in legitimate journalism, a lot of us anymore don't, right? I went to, I went to school for political science. Like, I just sound good. Uh, I sound like a 45-year-old man. I sound, sound good on the radio, and so I get a job in radio. Like, that's just... I was, an undergrad, I was an undergrad poli-sci major, too, by the way. Okay, okay. So we ended up at, the, at similar paths. But anyway, you, you're somebody who has legitimate journalistic principles. And I'm curious as to what you think about the way that, like our, our friends at the F-Words Pods, like they're good dudes, but they are being viewed now as legitimate media. And when they get into spats with like, I mean, and this is, this is an example because it happened to me, when they get into a spat with Darren Bates on Twitter 
and they're stirring shit up and Darren Bates thinks that they're legitimate media and it makes our jobs harder because we're in the locker room uh, dealing with a guy who's not going to differentiate between something like that. I'm curious as to what your perspective on that is. Well, it starts with Darren Bates being an idiot who can't differentiate between what's what. But, uh, yeah, I mean, these guys are younger now and they're not going to differentiate. I mean, I think the most important thing, first and foremost, is if, if you're being critical of a guy on Twitter or in something that you write, that you're you're in there. I don't know if you were in there the day last – it wasn't last season. It was the season before where, you know, I tweeted something about if if, if Trawick made the Pro Bowl. No, I was there. That's teamer, when the whole Bates thing was, started. Yeah, It was going to be on reputation because he hadn't done anything special. And Trawick may have taken offense to that, but he's a more soft-spoken guy and he was going to swallow it. But Bates – isn't a soft-spoken guy, and he basically took over Trawick's account and was like, come see me in a locker room. This is blah, 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 blah. And I went and saw him, and he told me to put my phone down or whatever, took me around the corner and, and you know, bitched me out at a high-volume level that uh, I got no problem getting yelled at, but I felt at a certain point there was a potential physical threat there, and a, a lot of you guys very politely stood there and watched it like it was entertaining and uh nobody seemed to have any concern for the idea that i might get killed well we were we number one i didn't see just from my perspective i didn't see you around the corner like i saw it once it had already escalated and i thought you guys were just you know i mean i don't if 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 you're yelling at somebody like i'm not sitting there thinking oh he's in physical danger i'm just you know but i'm i'm not i'm not in that position so that's my bad well, I, uh, I'm know, glad you're okay, right? Chief. We're all yeah, we're all you know, we're losing sleep over it. No, I'm not, I'm not criticizing the media so much, though. I can't imagine like if you were sitting there doing that, I I would have totally filmed it. That's that's absolute news that a middling backup linebacker special teamer finds it uh, in any way professionally appropriate to raise uh, the heat to that level. No, I remember I remember coming back and conversation. I remember coming I back in the media room. I would have filmed that whole thing yeah. and I would have taken it straight to uh, I, I think I was independent at that point. I would have posted that on my site in in 2 seconds it would have been a news story, it would have been viral and he would have deserved all the consequences he got in that. And there's Nashville being a soft market because all the media loved it because the media loved seeing me get reamed and that's fine. But nobody had the stones to film it or or make a news story out of it. I thought that uh, Titan security wasn't particularly bold at the time in letting it play out. That's fine. I'll take my lumps, but that's what that words. And I like those guys or whatever. They're not credentialed. They're not looking necessarily to get credentialed. And when you're credentialed, uh, your obligation is to be there to get yelled at by Darren Bates when he doesn't like what you have to say. It doesn't happen that often, but uh, you know, whether it's glared at or whatever, I mean, I've also had the thing where I approached Tajay Sharp and said, Hey, uh, you know, you're pissed off about my stance on Rashard Matthews. And he says, you know, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk. And I haven't talked to him since. I, w- I wanted to seek him out this week to talk about special teams, and I just never got the chance. But, um, you know, there are also guys in there who absolutely know what's what. And Logan Ryan's never going to have a professional beef with me that he's not going to talk out with me or Lawan or Byard or, you know, most of the top players on that team who have an understanding for how things work and know that I've been around the block and have a hall of fame vote and have a radio show and have worked at the Tennessee N at an ESPN and have made it a go on my own and made it work and all of that stuff. And so, 
it's just kind of the nature of the business and how it works. And then the one concern is, you know, that that those guys who are eventually going to disappear, um, that it gets passed down and, and that the younger guys see those guys interact with me and I develop relationships with them and it all gets passed down. And that was too long of an answer to, I'm not even sure. The question that, <laughs> I was about to say, how long ago did you know. lose your place? Uh, oh, I think I got where I was going. That's all right. We had that. No, it, I, it, it, it was the, uh, I, I understand what you're saying there. I wasn't making it you specific. I'm just looking at it from a broader perspective because I think it's, you know, I, I mean, A to Z Sports is a product of, of the way that media is changing. Stuff like F-Words Pod and and, uh, and SB Nation are a product of the way that media is changing. So I was just... Well, the other way we, we benefit, I mean, uh, me in particular, A to Z in particular, is that the Titans are very reasonable about... Uh, new media and credentialing. Yeah. I mean, it would be very easy for them, uh, particularly with A to Z, it would have been very easy for them uh, not to have regarded Dawson and Zach as guys who were worthy of uh, being out there every day. And that would have totally um, prohibited them from, from proceeding with their business model uh, as they uh, envisioned it initially and as it evolved for them. And so they're very fortunate, as am I. You know, I mean, uh, Bob McGinn, a guy whose stature is way beyond mine, and I don't know what his thing was once um, his newspaper let him go as he created his own thing. I don't think it was as effective as, as mine was planned. But uh, for the Packers to take away his credentials is right. absolutely ridiculous. And so he's operating from the outside. Um, you know, and I've never been threatened with that or felt like that's anything that I had to worry about, which, you know, creates a whole different environment and has let things like you guys having two or three or even four people out there for a practice covering it in an all-encompassing way. Um, you know, where, where you can film an individual period and know that you're going to have highlights of all the biggest stuff more so than ESPN and the Tennessean or where I can be out there, um, and, and, uh, you know, not have, not have any worries about expressing a, a full opinion of, of what I see, um, helps us kind of, uh, you know, have a bigger stake in the market than the once mighty, uh, than I dare say the once mighty local daily newspaper. <laughs> this, this, uh, this beef y'all got with the Tennessee kills me on Twitter. Paul. I, I don't, I don't have a beef with the Tennessee. I, I love Rex road. What you do you mean? You don't have I've been be- waiting. I've been waiting to have a conversation with you in a public forum, by the way. Okay. You, you and Rex road on Twitter. have got to cool it. I understand you're, you're romancing each other, and if Joe wasn't married, there'd probably be dating and all that. No, but I'm but too busy being Travis Haney's lackey. You're you're allowed to to talk on the phone or text. Are you familiar with texting? I am familiar with texting. Right, well, Rexro doesn't text. He text. chirps at me on Twitter well, more. Sometimes text instead of doing it all by Twitter. We Paul, don't want to see what, all of it on Twitter. Do, what do you care? You are too busy fighting people that have three followers in your you're mentions. You're right. And so I'm t- you're right. <laughs> and on top of that, then I got to see you lovebirds. Uh, tr- like you can't, you he can't, you can't tweet anything without him with some loving fatherly advice, comment or dad joke on it. And then there's like 
you go back and forth four or five times on every one of them. I'm cool. betraying a confidence because that is something Rexrow does. He like acts cool. like my like my Nashville media parent, like as in terms of how to behave. Like I get texts from Rex Road all the time that if I changed his name in my phone to my mother, it would you it would pass. I like you both very much, but you talk too much amongst yourselves on Twitter. <laughs> okay, noted. Um, we've got. Do you? How much time do you have, Paul? Because I don't keep going. Okay. Whatever you need. I want to talk. I want to talk about Steve. Uh, Steve McNair and Eddie George, because that that's not something that you get to. That anybody who does this gets to witness. Um, at over the course of a career, you may not see something like that. Them retiring Steve and Eddie's numbers together. Uh, yesterday after practice at St. Thomas Sports Park. And like like, like I said, I've only been doing this for three years, but it was not lost on me. The That was one of those like sports reverence moments where you're just kind of like, okay, a- appreciating what's going on in front of you, appreciating two guys that, you know, essentially helped start the Tennessee Titans in Nashville when they came over from Houston. So I was wondering how somebody like you who's been around because you're old – uh, how somebody like you takes in a press conference like that since you've seen that thing kind of come full circle. Well, it's a nice sentimental moment that makes it almost official. I guess it'll be official on September 15th when they when they do it. By the way, just <laughs> the, the ring of honor question at the end, man. I, just, <laughs> I was laughing so the hard. Preface, the preface was bad, but the question the preface, was good. No, the question was good. The ring of honor is an embarrassment at, at the stadium. No, you're not wrong. I'm just talking about the way you prefaced it because it was... <laughs> It was something yeah, only you could do, enough, and yeah. you're tremendous. And I loved yeah. it, but I was just sitting um, there laughing to myself. Yeah, but I mean, like, they don't have retired numbers hanging anywhere in the stadium, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, nothing really outside of knowing that they're retired is going to change. They've never been worn. McNair, uh, when he took it off after Christmas Eve game, I think it was 2006, 2005 or 2006 it's never been worn eddie george took his off after the the playoff game in new england it's never been worn since then so this has been in practice uh or you know effectively retired since then um so it's purely like uh making it official and having a ceremony for it um you know, they're the two best players of the era. I've gotten some flack because I think the Zach Randolph thing in, in um, Memphis is ridiculous. Uh, that, to me, is way different. I don't think he's he's as impactful a player. Right. May, maybe league-wise he is. For Memphis, he's not been. I think it's ridiculous to retire a guy's number when he's still playing in the league so he could come back and look at it hanging in the rafters. <laughs> This is more than 10 years removed. I feel like the, these guys. the Miami Heat retire everybody's jerseys that's ever walked through their practice facility. Yeah, and this is only the seventh and eighth numbers uh, retired for this franchise. Um, the first, you know, Bruce Matthews had a couple of years here, so you count his. So the, the second and third for guys here. Um, you know, but these guys mean an incredible amount to people in Nashville. Um, and it's not just a community feel good, you know, best guys on bad teams. I thought the statistic that they rolled out 
that while they were teammates, the record that the Titans, Oilers Titans posted during their time together as teammates was the third best in the league over an eight-year span behind only the Packers and the Broncos. That's uh, that's pretty good. Eight years is not a small sample size given the career spans of NFL players and the Packers and the Broncos are hardly, uh, you know, that's pretty good company. Um, so these guys, you know, I saw them grow up. Um, There's... I don't want to say contemporaries of mine, but I I grew up as a journalist while I was covering these guys as football players. I wrote a little bit about it in in the piece I did. I thought it was cool that Vrabel was kind of connecting this team to their teams by having been a teammate of George's at Ohio State. Yeah, I tweeted that out that it was it was really unique to have Mike there to provide that context. Yeah, and by really take it seriously by having been a guy that 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 uh, you know tackled tackled McNair in a playoff game. Um, You know, my early memories of, of, of McNair, he was just uh, so, so quiet isn't necessarily right, but he was, he was very soft spoken guy who was, um, I think a little, uh, a combination of embarrassed and put off by the idea that uh, he was being given this apprenticeship um, I think he certainly needed the apprenticeship after Alcorn State. It was still a time uh, in the NFL where you could give a guy a little bit of time to learn. But Chris Chandler was not a, a good guy to him and did things that were really, uh, you know, if it was this day and age, these things came to light um, with the politics of the league. It just would have gotten destroyed. And McNair would have been painted as such of a victim. But McNair took these things, and he never took them to Jerry Rome, the, the offensive coordinator, or to, to Jeff Fisher, the head coach, though they eventually found out about him. But he swallowed it for a while and just kind of dealt with it. I don't know, for a while he might not have realized everything that was going on. But eventually, as he realized what was going on, he um, he took things into his own hand, and he dealt with Chandler on his own. Um, and I just, uh, you know, it's kind of a respect thing now. If you look back, like how many guys, even if you wanted to do it that way in, in the league today could, or would know how, right. or would be allowed to, or any, any of that kind of stuff. So I thought that was a, a telling thing about him from the beginning. And then Eddie George, you know, was a good actor right from the start. Everybody who knows him knows what a what a great and affable and cool guy he is. He had a TV reporter, Buck, in Houston, who was a relatively gullible guy. But Eddie totally told this story straight-faced. And the rest of the media, who quickly realized it was BS, and his teammates who knew it was BS, played along. And he had this TV reporter in Houston convinced that I can't remember if it was before the offseason or after the offseason, and this would have been after his rookie year, had him convinced that he was going to Africa, like sub-Saharan Africa, with his band barefoot to tour his band named Deja Voom. Deja Voom, <laughs> and that they were just going to play all over Africa barefoot. Deja Voom. 
Uh, I could see the guy's face right now. And this guy was going to do like a Sunday night feature on Eddie and his band. Oh, it's Deja, the exclusive. Deja Vu. It's the exclusive. Yeah. And I, I don't know if McLean will remember it. I was I missed McLean's appearance on Midday 180 this week. But it's just his. It was he. God, it was so funny. It was so funny today. You know, everybody would have broken out and laughed there at some point. Oh well, I mean, it's... it was only a small group of us too because there were so few people covering that team at that time. But uh, well, it's, 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 it's classic Eddie. It's the modern day. Well, and this this is a totally different situation because it wasn't Eddie George making stuff up. But it's you know it's the same way we would we made fun of Tehran last year when he thought that Jalen Ramsey and uh, and AJ Boyer p- played for the Texans. Oh well, yeah. That I mean, he didn't actually think that, right? That was just a brain fart moment, <laughs> right? But it was it was something that we that we all made fun of him mercilessly for. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't make a mistake in a press room without getting roasted for it forever. That's what we do. Regardless, uh, your when you're when you're covering guys like Eddie and Steve, because there haven't been a lot of guys like Eddie and Steve. Um, is is there a difference about it on a day to day basis? Like in in real time, do you recognize? I mean, outside of the winning, that these are these are two people who are going to matter past their playing uh, playing careers. Yeah, I mean, I think at, at a certain point, you know that. Um, but I don't think you think about it much. I think you just have moments. Like Jim Wyatt had a great moment with with Eddie. He 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 knew a uh, a story about Eddie was some of Eddie's off season work included some of this running you see guys do with um, uh, the parachutes. Yeah, you know. And at this time, that was still maybe like a relatively new thing. Or it certainly was a new thing with Eddie and uh, and Jim had this story, um, but Eddie I think asked him not to write it, or somebody asked him not to write it. He just for whatever reason he didn't want it out there. And this is always dangerous territory. I hope Jim doesn't doesn't mind that I'm sharing this, but it's always dangerous territory when um, somebody asks you not to do it. Even back then, and this was a good while ago. Because you always risk that, you know, no matter what kind of deal you make with a guy to not write something, that it's going to appear somewhere else. Right. And and it wouldn't necessarily have come with Eddie or with Eddie's approval. And so sure enough, the story came out somewhere else. And, you know, I, I can't speak for Jim. I remember exactly for Jim. But, uh, you know, as, as I reimagine it, it, it would have been pissed or hurt, you know, that uh, – I did the guy solid and I ended up getting burned and we've all been there to some degree. Those of us who've been around long enough where, you know, what happens is you do a guy a favor and then if you get burned on the favor, then he owes you a bigger favor and, and you come out of it. All right. But I I think it was, you know, it was either return for OTAs or mini camp or something, or maybe the beginning of um, training camp. And Eddie, at the end of practice, pulled Jim aside. George Walker, uh, still at the Tennessean taking pictures, had took pictures of Jim. And Jim may have this picture even on his desk. I don't know. But pulled him over, like, onto the middle field. None of us were over there. And they were talking for a while. And Eddie had one hand on each shoulder <laughs> and was talking to Jim and kind of explaining the whole thing and, I think, apologizing. And I remember when that whole thing went down, just thinking like, this is not your common player who, you know, would say, yeah, man, I mean, 
I tried to do the right thing, but it didn't work out that way. And, you know, that's how it rolls. This was a guy who, you know, made a deal and it didn't pan out the way he wanted. And it really matters to him that the reporter ended up on the wrong side of it. And look at the, you know, he's pulling the guy aside. He's got his arms on his shoulders. He's looking him in the eye and he's having a sincere conversation with him about feeling badly that it didn't go the way it was supposed to go. And, uh, I'm sure Jim came out the better for it, uh, despite the fact that in the moment he probably wasn't real happy about it. And I just right now, as I'm telling you that story, can't get the picture out of my head. I can see it just exactly like it was. Um, And so that's the kind of guy Eddie was. And and as stuff like that happened, you always knew. And I think a lot of us who covered the team all the way back to then um, would rank Eddie as, uh, you know, the most – uh, the number one combination of great player, great guy, and it'd be hard to find anybody. Uh, you know, I don't know who number two would be on that list to challenge him. And I don't know that we've really had anybody close. Um, you know, and then, Buck, we get into this thing. I end up, this always always sucks. You know, I love Eddie. He's a great guy. I've been uh, very friendly with him post-career and everything. And then people will, you know, take it to the other show. Yeah, but you don't think he's a Hall of Famer, you know? So then I end up having to make a case almost against a guy I really like and respect and think was a tremendous player who I don't think is quite a Hall of Fame player. And it's almost like I have to knock him down just because some people, I think, have too big an opinion of his football career, which was a fantastic football career. Yeah. It's it's a difficult proposition, and I'm learning more about it the further in that I get to this kind of stuff, is you have to, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to be around these guys on a day-to-day basis, um, and then to have to explain to them or anybody else otherwise why you have an opinion about something that they did, or, or their, the, the, the summation of their career in Eddie George's case, or why he sucked, uh, not he, not Eddie George, but X player sucked in this particular game, uh, but and then and ha- have to deal with it afterwards. It's uh, it's not it's not as easy as people think it is. Well, I used to have this with Wycheck when I was on the radio with him, you know, three mornings a week for yeah. a good stretch, where people would call in and uh, you know, lovingly remember Frank's career and rave about him and. Kevin and Mark and I would roll our eyes a little bit because we'd been there so many times before. And of course it make Frank feel good and everything. And then somebody would take it too far and say, Frank, you should be in the hall of fame. And I could only let it go so far. And I would, <laughs> I would, jump, I would, I would jump in and talk about, you know, why, Hey, Frank had a great career and he's a great guy, but here's why he's not a hall of famer and everything. And then Frank would be like, man, you know, I didn't say I should be in the hall of fame. But here I got to listen to you then go into great detail about why I shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And all we did was answer the phone. I mean, it's how how can you be how can you be a pundit for something like that uh, and and have to do it and and do it in front of the guy and be like and and be like but no wait, this isn't an attack on you. <laughs> like this is like I'm not making this something personal, but this is just the facts of the situation. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. And there are some guys who are in my position in other cities who I think um, maybe tout cases for guys who really aren't uh, aren't worthy or, you know, 
or, or make guys borderline who aren't really borderline to kind of uh, avoid that whole thing. I'm, I'm lucky in that, you know, I, I never got, I'm not lucky that I never got to the place with Steve to have that conversation, but that conversations with Frank and Eddie have never been uh, anything but cordial about that. And I actually had a big, long conversation with Eddie about it, who didn't really know the ins and outs of the process. Um, you know, just uh, last year, I think, where I, I had a bunch of numbers and and other stuff in front of me where we talked about, you know, Edger and James and, and uh, um, come on, Jacksonville, Fred Taylor. I was looking at those two guys yeah. in particular and kind of comparing the three same guys out of the same era. And, and the other thing, the Titans fans, and this is a great moment, you know, with those two guys getting their numbers retired. But Eddie George and Steve McNair – were I don't think ever once the best player at their position in the league for a span of two or three years. Their contemporary, I mean, they just had a lot of very good contemporaries. Yeah, I mean, people, well, it's 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 kind of like, and I and correct me if I'm wrong on this because I think this was a conversation that you guys had on Midday 180 about Steve McNair's greatness the legend of Steve McNair growing more so after he passed because of, you know, him being gone uh, before it was his time in all likelihood. And and how that's kind of not not changed the conversation about him, but warped it a little bit to where people think that he was a much greater player than he actually was just because of the circumstances. And that's the way that's I mean, it's a human thing to do. And yeah. it's what most sports fans do with Steve McNair. Well, it's certainly the case in terms of production. I mean, if you go look, and he gritted out a lot of stuff, and he led this team to the best stretch it ever had, but go look at how many passing games under 200 yards he had. Go look at how many passing games under 150 yards he had. You know, we're complaining about um, Marcus Mariota's passing numbers now. Um, You know, no, the Titans weren't relying on Steve McNair uh, and the passing game very often, and he didn't have great wide receivers. No Titans quarterback has had great wide receivers, but uh, Steve McNair was capable of some very flat Sunday afternoons. Um, and sometimes he'd pull them out and get them in the wind column, or Eddie would, or the defense would, and sometimes not so much. But there were some, uh, we talked about this, sometimes you could tell with, with Mariota right away, first drive, second drive, he'd he doesn't have it today. And Steve was very much like that too. You know, even with the early stuff to Y check, there were some days where some of us would just look at each other in the press box and be like, yeah, if they win today, it's not going to be on the, on the back of nine. And somehow that has just completely gone away. And Nashville thinks that the, every game the Titans won during that era was completely on the back of nine because so many big wins were on the back of nine. Do you think that Marcus does himself a disservice by because our 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 presumption is that he actually doesn't hear any of the stuff that people are saying about him, but the way that he the way that he tries to because I I legitimately think he is well intentioned in trying to get out there and play like the injuries are something that we talk about with Marcus all the time, but I think that he pushes himself further than he should because I think there is something there with the Steve McNair comparisons and that nobody's ever going to live up to the toughness of Steve McNair that he puts himself 
in a bad spot because he pushes it further than he should. And even if he's out there on the field, he shouldn't be because he's he's more of a detriment than he is a help. Now, that's on his coaches. Uh, you got to be out there if he can be out there. Uh, it's an NFL quarterback in 2019. You know, the, the I think the saying is on the weight room wall, the, and I think it's overstated saying, generally speaking, that the – the best ability is availability, which is kind of crazy because if you're not very good, your availability shouldn't trump your ability. Uh, and I'm not applying that to Marcus specifically. I think he's got a lot of skills. But um, certainly the last couple of years, and maybe it's going to be different now with Tannehill, uh, a banged-up Marcus Mariota, I would have taken over Castle. I would have taken over Gabbard. I would have taken over Mettenberger virtually every time. Um you know, now they got to map out a game plan that he could he could win with. So I, I don't think he was doing himself a disservice necessarily. I think they do a disservice. This is one thing that really bugs me. I can understand not being forthcoming about the injuries during the season. I think as soon as the season is over, you say everything. As soon as the season is over, it's not excuse-making anymore. As soon as the season's over, it goes from being an excuse to being an explanation. Yeah. Well, on top of uh, ulnar nerve thing in his elbow, he had a, you know, I can't remember the list that I reported, but it was ridiculous. Had a cracked rib. The stinger included a cracked vertebrae, the blah, 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 blah. And then we say, well, 11 touchdown passes was awful, and you still want more than that. But here's a big list of, of the reasons that explain why he did it. And that's the first thing I would write. You know, I guess during the season, it seems like excuses. After the season, it seems like explanation to me. And I'd say that, you know, you could say it right now about Durant. Why wouldn't you say Durant, when he has the calf strain, has an Achilles issue? Then the pressure for Durant to come back is significantly reduced. And if he can make it back, that's great. If he can't make it back, you avoid all of this team pressure external pressure, internal pressure for him to try to get back from something that's far more serious than you're letting it be. Tom Coughlin did this to Fred Taylor. He almost ruined his career. He said he had a groin strain. His groin strain was that his groin was off the bone. Yeah. And so Fred Taylor was perceived nationally as a guy who was soft. It wasn't soft. You made him look soft. I just... I look at it, and I, I I don't know how to process a lot of things with him, but that's something that sticks out to me uh, as 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 at least part of the explanation for Marcus Mariota. I don't know if we're ever going to figure out what the hell he is, if, the, if there's going to be enough time to figure out uh, if uh, what he is, and if, if it's taking that long, I think I guess you have your answer. We were talking about this the other day at practice. I uh I wanted to talk about Bruce Springsteen with you, Chief, but I think I've kept you for an hour. Oh, uh, we uh, I always got five minutes for Springsteen. Okay. Uh favorite show. Actually, you know what? What was the song you heard, the first Bruce Springsteen song you heard that made you realize that you liked Bruce Springsteen? Uh I mean it's probably hard to differentiate. I came into Bruce Springsteen at the at the uh Born to Run stage. Um we moved to Jersey in 76. Where in uh, Jersey? Uh, South River, New Jersey, a little town, exit nine, not too far from Freehold where Springsteen grew up. And my parents live pretty close to Freehold now where they moved in retirement almost 20 years ago. Um, 
but I drove kind of past Freehold on my way to the beach. Um, I went to private school, so I had some some friends from near Freehold. Um, so I mean, I can't really say one. Jungle Land off Born to Run is still the song that kind of does the most to kind of take me back to the to my origin story, I guess. But then the song that kind of puts me in my prime Springsteen when I'm in in high school, when I'm going to my first concert, would be No Surrender off of Born in the USA, which me and Mark Nathan would sing at the top of our lungs and which, you know, we saw him play at Brendan Byrne Arena at the first concert we went to where we took a bus to New York. And then a bus from New York to the Meadowlands, and then my dad picked us up at at uh, at Giant Stadium, and uh, and the and the greatest first concert anybody could ever go to. It, it happened for me back asswards because I was I was in seventh grade, uh, so this would be 2010, and this was still when VH1 was playing vi- music videos on VH1 instead of. Uh, terribly crappy reality shows with Travis Kelsey and dating a bunch of women. It was Radio Nowhere uh, the first time that I heard Bruce Springsteen, and it just it just hit me different than anything else has, and I'm sitting there locked on the TV watching this music video of some middle-aged dude just crushing it with this this full, full band accompany, accompaniment, and then I'm listening to the album. I go out and find the album. I don't know who Bruce Springsteen is. I'm asking my mom about who Bruce Springsteen is. Is is he somebody that's done other stuff and then I, you know, just stumble into the to the good stuff, like the the entire catalog of Bruce Springsteen and like I just Spirit in the Night is my favorite song I think ever. And I've seen him do it live twice. The first concert I saw him at was four hour four hours at Wrigley Field in the middle of the summer. It was my 18th yeah, was birthday, and that's like I that's uh, there's not ever going to be a better experience for me. Like there's there's something it's it's very bizarre given my age that I that I attach myself to Bruce Springsteen like that. But I, there's not there's not anybody's music that that kind of. I don't know, that kind of gives you that feeling. I don't know how to describe it. I sound yeah. like an idiot talking about it. It's hard to describe it to people who don't get it. So when that album came out with Radio Nowhere, it was still at a time where um, you could find stuff online and kind of steal it. Um, and so I like was downloading it song by song, and I had this kind of um, <clears throat> split feeling. Like I had to have the music, had to have it. Uh, but also feel guilty at taking it. And so I, um, I took it, I listened to it. And then when the album came out, my way of making penance was to buy, buy two copies of it. (laughs) So like I gave him twice the money. And so I bought one for me and then I gave, uh, the second one away. I can't remember to who, but to somebody that was unlikely to buy it, but that would like it. And uh, so that was the way I I made up for getting it uh, three or four weeks in advance of when I should have had it, but I I had to have it. You went to the to the Radio City Music Hall performance where it's just him solo no, Broadway, on stage yeah, on Broadway, Broadway rather. Yeah. Get, get I mean tell me what you can because I'm probably never going to see that show. Yeah. 
No, so uh, I wrote about it, Unlocked, at paulkarski.com, so you can go search for it. Right it, after uh, you watch his Periscope with Mike Vrabel at his hugely su- successful site. There you go. Um, I mean, it was everything that I expected. I go through a thing. I don't know if you do this. Um, you know, I follow set lists pretty closely and everything at backstreets.com. Okay. But, but then when I'm coming close to seeing something for myself, I go dark because I don't want to know exactly what's coming. And the Broadway show uh, was the exact same every night. It, I mean, it was a Broadway show. It wasn't a, a, a movable parts right. show like we're used to, where you know changes two-thirds of the set list from one night to the next night. So I read about it early, um, but then in the hopes that I would see it later, I didn't do a – you know, I read the reviews and everything. It probably started in January, uh, and then I – tried to forget about it and distance myself from it and i didn't see it until june um you know and it was just the most intimate it's the closest i'm ever going to be probably it's the smallest venue i'm ever going to see him in it was it's like a 975 feet seat theater Uh, i had a pretty good seat i was trying to get a pair when i was able to buy because i really wanted to take my wife because she's liked the concerts that we've gone to but she doesn't get my addiction and i thought you know if she could have seen that with me she really would have gotten it um but no such luck so i had a a long weekend in new york where i hung out with my guys and everything but i went down there alone i spent time on the curb across the street saw him come in saw him come out got some pictures from from across the way um and you know it's just as intimate a thing is there is with a lot of him explaining, you know, where he came from and everything. And I thought it was really interesting. I've got, uh, some friends actually in my all 22 at the site who, uh, one in particular, and I think, uh, I can't remember who his guy is. I know one of them loves Eric church. I can't remember if he's the one that I had this conversation with, but Springsteen in this show and in his book that the show is kind of based on kind of admits Uh, this was kind of really stunning and striking to me. You know, I'm a guy that's never worked a nine to five job or a real job in my whole life until now. Right. This show. And I hate that part of it. Yeah. You know, I've never been in a factory. I wrote born to run. I had to get the hell out of here, all of this stuff. And now I live 10 minutes from where I grew up. Yeah. You know, I'm full of all of these contradictions. And his point was like, I'm that good. Like I, I really am kind of, <laughs> kind of playing the part, you know. My thing had always been, he can, he can relate to all this stuff because he kind of came from it. His point was, he, he's a, a really good storyteller. Yeah. Uh, but he's not exactly who you might think he is. And I thought that was a heck of an admission. I kind of had to come to terms with that a little bit. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you should watch it. It's on Netflix if you haven't seen it. I'm going to check it out later today. He is Paul Kaharski, midday 180, weekdays 10 to 2, uh, paulkaharski.com. He just did a one-on-one Periscope with Mike Frabel that is available if you are somebody who subscribes to his site. Uh, Which you should be. It's a cup of coffee or a drink. People make it like, some people like to make it like, I'm, uh, you know, you pay in gold bullion or something. Listen, you're and out other here people, fighting. Other people really resent the fact that it costs money. You know, I used to work for ESPN. ESPN paid pretty well. Uh, You know, I'm still doing the same kind of work I was doing for ESPN. And in a combination of sponsors and membership, I've I've pulled off uh, the same kind of thing. 
And uh, if you don't want to pay, don't pay. But if, if you like my me and my work, it's not very expensive, really. Chief, who, sure. are you, who are you out here shaking a fist at? I was just trying to plug your site. Well, not you. I'm not shaking a fist at you. I'm shaking a fist at some of your listeners. <laughs> well, that's because they're they're millennial, they're on the internet, and they're cheap as hell. Paul Kaharski. Paul Kaharski. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. Hey, thanks, Chief. I always enjoy it. You're going to return a favor sometime, and I'll have you on. Thanks, Paul. See ya. Well, that's going to do it for us today because I don't think there's anything left to be said. Me and Paul hit it all, and we appreciate you guys hanging out with us just as we appreciate Paul for giving us some of his time here on this Thursday. If you enjoyed that interview, we've done a ton more. We've got John Robinson, general manager of your Tennessee Titans. He was on Tuesday's show. We've had Kevin Byard, Rashawn Evans, Brett Kern, Tiffany Blackman of the NFL Network, Dane Brugler of The Athletic. We have a lot of different friends who do a lot of cool stuff across professional sports, across across local sports. Adam Vinken of The Athletic, somebody who spent a good deal of his time. Uh, I've got a lot of access to a lot of cool people, and I appreciate them always being willing to share their time and their talents and their storytelling abilities here with you on the 615 session. So make sure you're rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever it is that you get your podcast, so that you can get all of our interviews, including our archives in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever it is that you can find your podcast. Remember, five stars on those ratings. Four stars just makes you a hater. Thanks to the boys, Austin Stanley and Zach Bingham, A to Z Sports, weekday mornings, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., streaming live on Facebook Live and Periscope, Nashville's on-demand sports talk show. They make the 615 sessions possible, and so we greatly appreciate them doing that for us. That being said, I'm Buck Rising, reminding you to stay hot, Nashville. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday, because just because the, uh, the Titans are off doesn't mean we are. We'll be back on Tuesday here on the 615 sessions, brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville. Dot com.